Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we explore the intersection of work and well-being. I'm your host, Coach Marty, and each episode I interview mental health experts, coaches, and industry insiders to bring you practical insights and tips that will help you build a meaningful, rewarding, and sustainable career. So join me as we explore the path to career satisfaction, one conversation at a time. Today, we sit down with Nicole Roger, MFT. Nicole is the Director of Clinical Partnerships at Spring Health, a digital mental health care solution that provides employer-sponsored therapy, coaching, medication management, and on-demand cognitive behavioral therapy tools for employees and their dependents. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in grief and loss, substance use disorders, and career burnout. And she has a deep experience working with clients in high-stress professions. In this episode, we discuss how to handle grief and loss after a layoff, what to do when your professional identity is disrupted, and what you can do to take back your narrative and curate your own career story. If you like this episode, please leave us a review and share with a friend so we can help more people navigate their way to a better career and enjoy this episode with Nicole Roger. Well, I'm so glad to have you here. Um, You know, there is a lot happening in the world right now in regards to layoffs. I mean, we're seeing from Twitter to all the different tech giants, we're seeing massive layoffs happening. And I think when it comes to layoffs, people have a, a mindset of just, you know, all right, I'm laid off, bunker down, hunker down, bunker down, I don't know, <laughs> get to it, get back to work, no breaks, no anything. And there's this, um, I've always noticed that when people get laid off, there tends to be a bit of an identity crisis, almost a, a real shaking of the foundation, because, you know, we do wrap up so much of our identity into our careers, generally speaking. And so there's a loss that happens, a loss of identity, a loss of reputation, a loss of, you know, any number of different things. And I find that a lot of people don't process that loss, don't process that grief. They just try and, you know, barge through the wall and do it again and find another job. And then that can lead to a lot of different things like overwhelm, burnout and things like that. And so I'm so glad that we're going to be chatting here today. So I'd love for you to just maybe give us a little bit about your background and um, your experiences with helping people through grief. Definitely. Well, uh, Martin, thank you so much for for having me. I'm definitely looking forward to this discussion as well. And just a little bit about me. I'm a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist. I'm licensed in California and I I live in San Francisco. And my, my background when it comes to therapy has been really varied. I got my start working with kids in, um, in elementary school. So kindergarten through eighth grade, I worked for various nonprofits. I worked in an older folks facility where I helped, um, it, it was it was a tiered facility. So on the bottom two floors were really independent living, just older folks that needed more like assisted assisted living. And I would do individual couple and family counseling with the folks in, in the residence. And the upper two floors were for those that had Alzheimer's or some kind of cognitive decline. And so doing therapy with those folks would, would be contraindicated. But so the, the the focus was really on the family work of what it's like to leave mom here or what it's like for you when your dad doesn't recognize you anymore. And then assisting the family through um, the the dying and the death process once um, a, a resident would pass. 
I also worked for the Department of Rehabilitation. So working with folks with um, with disabilities, whether that was a, a mental health disability or some kind of physical disability. And so the grief and loss there was really around the loss of who they thought they were going to be. Most, most often, and I, I would help these folks get employment, and most often these folks would sit across from me and say, Nicole, I, I can't even believe that I'm asking the state for help getting a job right now. This is just so like wildly out of what my realm of, of how I thought my life was, was going to be. And so really processing what that feels like. You never thought that you were going to get MS. You never thought that you would have um, such a severe mental health issue that you needed some kind of assistance. So really processing this new identity with folks and then also helping them get employment. So really twofold there. And then I also worked in the substance use space for, for a number of years. So grief around taking away a substance that someone feels that they really need to rely on, that they feel like the bottle is their friend, has been there for them in the good times and the bad times. So really processing what that feels like and then how to live their life as a sober, as a sober individual. That's really incredible. You have such a deep history in so many different areas. And, you know, as you're saying all these different things from dealing with family members, you know, I, I had a grandparent who had Alzheimer's and just watching that over a 10 year period was so difficult. And I could only imagine how that would affect someone who's also trying to balance that with, you know, work. I was, a, I was really young when that happened. So I didn't have to necessarily have all the, the, pressures of life at the time. Um, but I could imagine someone whose parent is going through that and they're trying to go to work and every day and, and be able to still process their life and live their life. Right. And, you know, when you're talking about this identity piece, I find that to be so interesting because, you know, when someone has MS or a mental health issue and they're, the way you put that, you know, the loss of who you thought you were going to be, I feel like that happens to people in their careers over and over and over again at every at many different stages. You know, there's when you're a child, you think you have unlimited possibility, right? Or at least that's what you're told. And then, you know, things get whittled down in high school, get whittled down in college, get whittled down in your first few jobs. And eventually, you know, you just kind of go, okay, well, this is what I am, right? And so how do we process those transitions? What have you seen? What have been the most difficult things that you've seen people coming to terms with as they process those transitional moments or come to terms with the reality of their life rather than maybe the the hopes or the fantasies that we had as we were building our our dream of the future? Yeah, I I, I love that question so much. And I think the answer is is twofold. It's one, when I look in the mirror now, I don't recognize that person anymore. Like, how do I really get to know myself again? Which is a huge existential question. You've lived your whole life one way. And then as an adult, now you need a wheelchair. Like how, how do I, I grapple? How do I grapple with that? Like, what does that loss mean to me? And who is this person staring back at me in the mirror? How do I even begin to get to know who that person is? Isn't it, I think that's a, where a lot of the grief and the loss lives initially. And then the second part is, well, then how do I function in the world as a person that wasn't the, that isn't the same that I was a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, what have you. 
How do I move about the world? How do I get from point A to point B? How do I get a job? How do I tell my employer? Um, how do I tell my partner or find a partner? Like all of these like logistical questions that then arise. So this person has to really start over. And in a way that journey can be really beautiful as you start to move along in it. But when you're getting started and that initial day one of, oh my gosh, I'm a completely different person now. That's really where I found in, in my work with the grief, the shock, anger, like all of those stages of bargaining that Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who is just an expert in the field, has, has really taught us about grief, going through that whole process. And it's it's also not linear. You go through the bargaining stage, and then you go through maybe acceptance, and then the anger. And it's not this stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, stage five, great, I'm done, I'm cured. We hit the acceptance, and then my clients would be like, Nicole, why am I feeling so angry again? Or <laughs> like I'm in the bargaining stage and I'm like, yeah, man, um, <laughs> that's where the work really begins of your grief isn't linear. It's messy. And really then working with clients to really have come to an acceptance of what their own individual grief process looks like. So when it comes to acceptance, I think that's a really interesting area to look at because people fight it. I even fight it a lot of times because, um, you know, there's this, I find a lot of interesting paradoxes or contradictions in the advice that's out there, right? On the one hand, people are like, you know, you have to, you, you just have to accept things in life, right? And everyone's like, well, I don't want to accept things. I want to change things. It's like, well, in order to change things, first you have to accept things. And it's like, Okay, so I'm accepting things to change things. <laughs> it's just like it's this very like circular logic that can just drive people nuts. And so what what does acceptance actually look like in in your experience of people coming to terms with things? Yeah, definitely. I I completely agree and I, and I even as a therapist, I fall into that trap too of like, okay, I've done the work. I've accepted that this thing happened. Why do I still feel stuff? Like I don't I don't like this. Why I I I I did the work and it really takes a conscious effort in remembering that acceptance doesn't mean that you're necessarily happy or even okay with what happened. It's just that you've learned how to live with the grief and loss. You've learned how to live with the new normal. And that doesn't mean that you still don't have feelings about it. And, and to your, your point earlier, Martin, about layoffs, I think that's just such a perfect example of how we can accept what happened without ever liking what happened or being happy about it. Like getting laid off can really suck and it can be sad and scary and traumatizing for so many folks. And it's learning how to move through those feelings and accepting that you're feeling that, again, not that you're happy or okay with it, but now as you've moved through it, I've learned to accept the grief and loss for what it is and what that grief and loss means in my life moving forward. Interesting. So what it means in my life moving forward. So let's let's maybe take a step back and look at it from a little bit of a technical perspective, because um, we're going to get really deep into some grief and loss, loss stuff here. So let's just, what is grief and, and what what is it not? I think uh, there's a lot of pop culture psychology out there around grief. And so can we just maybe put some uh, bumpers on the bowling alley here? What would you say, like when we think about grief and loss specifically, what what is inbounds and what's out of bounds for that conversation? Yeah. So 
grief, at least how I, how I have defined it in my work is a response to a loss. And then when we define a loss, it's the loss is you're not able to maintain something, a job, a relationship, mobility, um, an ability, an idea. And it's our, it's our reaction to not being able to maintain something that we want. Um, an idea could be an, you know, an illness or um, just something ending. And what it's not is, it's actually a really good question. Grief is not, it's not linear. It's not the same from person to person. We could go through, like you and I, Martin, can go through the same layoff. We have the same job, the same title. We've been at the company for the same amount of time, and we both are laid off the same day. And I might react to it wildly different than how you might react to it. And my reaction isn't right or wrong, and your reaction isn't right or wrong. It just is. We take into account our childhood experiences, our past um, experiences with, with grief and loss or disappointment, um, past traumas, past jobs, past experiences. And we all bring that into the here and now. And so grief is not one size fits all. Every single person will have a reaction. And I think if this is a similar experience to you, seeing one colleague after another on LinkedIn saying I was affected by the layoffs and even how they describe their reaction to it has been so different mm -hmm. from the next colleague and the colleague after that. There are some people that see this as a great thing, that this is an opportunity to do what they really want. Some people are understandably scared. So again, just really reemphasizing that it's not this one size fits all. And we never really get over it. I think there's also a concept and and I think it's something that we say sometimes to comfort people that, like, oh, one, one day this will get better mm. or, or you'll get over the day. And yeah, the, the hurt and the sting will get less and less as we move forward in the world. But again, we never might actually be happy about this. We're never... It, it's okay to not feel like the, um, it's 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 going to be okay. It, it's it's okay to feel like whatever happened to you didn't happen for a reason. Mm. That you you just got slapped with something that you never asked for, and you but you're still able to move through the world as the person that you are despite what happened to you. I really appreciate you saying that. <laughs> Because you, you hear that all the time. It's like, well, this layoff happened for a reason. It's like, great. I can't pay my bills this month, you know? And, right. you know, of course, looking back at our life, and this is such an interesting thing about narrative and the stories that we tell ourselves, like a lot of our emotions are wrapped up in whatever stories we're either, you know, programmed <laughs> from, from our traumas or just our, you know, nature versus nurture or whatever it might be. A lot of a lot of what we experience in our emotions from what I've, I've learned is, is just the stories that we're telling ourselves and repeating in our minds. And so we can shift those stories. We change those stories, but at the end of the day, you know, not everything necessarily happens quote unquote for some cosmic reason. Right. I think sometimes things happen and we make the best of them. And um, when we think about it from that perspective, I, I appreciate that you're like, you know, this stuff might never, might not ever go away. It might even change how you interact with the world um, 
where you're more guarded, more, more um, scared for the rest of your life. Even, <laughs> you know, I don't want to make people feel, you know, scared about being scared, but you know, I, I do think that a lot of, a lot of this work with maybe processing our grief and loss is trying to find the best possible coping mechanisms to take forward so that we're not, you know, relying on the the worst possible coping mechanisms. Cause you might see, you know, I I've definitely experienced the, the thing where someone gets laid off and the first thing they do is go to a bar. Right. And so that might be a good coping mechanism for in certain situations, but it could also be a really destructive one if that leads to, you know, not getting, not allowing yourself to process these emotions and, and go through this process. And I do see that very often where people aren't allowing themselves to go through the processing piece of it, even if that processing piece takes the rest of your life. And I, this sort of reminds me of anxiety in a way, the way that you're describing it, it might always be there because, you know, a lot of the talk around mental health, especially around career related mental health is how to get rid of things. How do I get rid of this emotion? How do I stop feeling anxious? How do I overcome my grief? You know, all these different things. And what would you say to people who are trying to get rid of or or just like, you know, <laughs> move on from this thing? I don't want to experience this feeling. What would you say to those folks? Yeah, that's I I love that question. That was a lot of my work in the substance use space. I, I worked for the state bar of California. And so all of my clients were attorneys that had either a substance use issue and or a mental health issue and were also um, going through the process or they were in trouble with their law license as a result of what they've done because of their substance use. And so a lot of my clients were just so like wonderful, highly intelligent people, typically the smartest ones in the room, had amazing careers, you know, good families, they made a lot of money. And there's a problem now. Um, there's some kind, some, something went wrong in their life or they're addicted to some kind of substance and now their license, their livelihood is on the line. And they would sit across from me in our first session, you know, and tell their story. And I would reflect back and, you know, tell their, or, or give them a treatment plan. And they would look at the treatment plan and their eyes would just pop out of their head. They're like, this is going to take years. <laughs> like, I'm not done after just one discussion with you. And so really having and really working to sit with folks around the discomfort of what it feels like to grieve or to, to experience a loss. And, and in their case, the potential loss of their license, of their jobs, it's uncomfortable. Nobody like wants to feel these emotions. Nobody wants to feel um, anger or resentment or denial or all of these the anxiety that you mentioned, all of these feelings that, that can be coupled with grief and loss, they're uncomfortable. They're not fun. I would rather be doing something else than sit with those feelings. And, and I'm a therapist. But the problem is, is if we don't, if we continue to deny those feelings, I think we really have seen what, what can happen. It just festers. It grows. It gets bigger. The problems just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and so it really just comes down to, I understand that this is really uncomfortable and it's okay to do things that are uncomfortable. You, you know how to do things that are uncomfortable more than you think that you do more than you give yourself credit. And that's really where therapy can be so helpful. 
because you don't have to do that alone. You don't have to walk that journey alone. You can have somebody in lockstep with you, reminding you of those things because we're all human. We forget, like I said, even as a therapist, I forget and I lean into my own therapist to remind me of that too. That even when things get uncomfortable, that's actually really where the journey is. And that's really where we can really start to unpack some feelings that while uncomfortable can at some point in our life be really beautiful. They can lead us to where we actually need to be. So when we're leaning into that discomfort, um, I guess there's two ways to go. You lean in or you run away, right? What are some of the signs that people can look out for to maybe identify whether or not they're running away or actually dealing with things. Because I think sometimes people think they're dealing with things, but maybe they're actually avoiding or they haven't even thought about it and they're just kind of pushing forward in life, you know, with blinders on. Um, what what are maybe some signs that things aren't being dealt with that people can watch out for before it gets so bad that they have to have a big wake-up call? Yeah, I think that's so important to talk about because we can't we can't change something unless we're aware that something needs to be changed. So some things to be aware of are absolutely an an increase in, in substance, in substance use. What was your, what is your typical intake with substances? And are you noticing that it's increasing? And that's because we often use as a society. And when I say society, I mean, Western culture, substances to, to numb something. And with, within a certain degree that can be okay. But when those uncomfortable feelings start to arise, if we're reaching for a substance to squish that feeling, to squish our thoughts, that could be an indicator that that something's up, that something needs to be dealt with. I also think it's important to really take stock of our sleep too. If we're tossing and turning at night or we're not able to fall asleep um, or we're, we keep we keep waking up during the night, it's usually an indicator that there's something going on that again needs to be dealt with that we're not dealing with something um our taking stock of our physical health too what we don't deal with internally will eventually come out externally whether you're noticing you're getting sick more often um you're not you're you're just not feeling like yourself you're having certain pain in your body and i say pain i i worked with a client who was really going through grief, um, like a, a divorce with her, with her partner, a diagnosis of her, uh, a physical illness with her child. And she was like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Everything's fine. I have to keep it together. And she would complain about these headaches and like really having to sit with her and, and walk her through. It, it sounds like when you're sleeping or even when you're existing, you're clenching your jaw really tightly. Can you I, I, I want to refer you to back to your dentist and just kind of see what's going on here. And she comes back to me and she was like, Nicole, my dentist called me out. Like I am clenching. I have to wear a night guard. I have like cracked teeth. I, and I was like that, right. That's just a, ma- a manifestation of these undealt with feelings really coming out physically. Um, something else to, to look out for is, is isolation. And I don't mean isolation in a way to protect ourselves from COVID or an illness. I mean, isolation to the point where 
we're not participating in things that we either want to participate in or something that we have to, like going to work or things that we want to participate in, like being an active member of, of our communities, showing up in our relationships or with our friendships or with our family or um, ne um, neg neglecting our hobbies, like really things that bring us joy. We're not, we're not utilizing our, um, we're not utilizing things that, that help bring us and, and make us feel better anymore. We're really um, consumed by a feeling, whether that's that anxiety, the anger, the, the, the disappointment, and in response, not doing things that, that make us feel like, like the person that we really are. Interesting. Yeah. I was chatting with someone recently who's currently doing the dry January. A lot of people are doing dry January right now. And they were just reflecting on, you know, a couple of weeks of not drinking. And they said, you know, it's really interesting. I have all this time all of a sudden. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do with all this time? And it created this big, like, oh my gosh, I haven't even, I've let so many hobbies slip um, due to, uh, you know, the increased use of substances over COVID or whatever it might've been. And I find that to be so interesting because when we do start to rely on these distractors, whether it's a substance or television or whatever the thing might be, and we're also not dealing with the emotions, it's a lot of these things that you listed layer on top of each other. It's not like, oh, it's just the one and I get to put a little pin in it and fix it. It's like, no, we might be just slightly increasing the substances, slightly getting worse sleep, slightly, you know, you know, withdrawing and isolating, but it's the combination of all those things that can have a profound effect on our lives and our careers and our ability to, to work on all these things. And, and then if you do start working on these things, let's say you do remove a substance or stop watching as much TV or whatever the thing might be, then you get hit with the, oh my gosh, what do I do with all this emotion, this time, this everything? <laughs> so, um, you know, there's this space that needs to get um, filled. And I think there's maybe a transition period where people go, I don't know what to do. And that stresses me out. So I'm just going to go back to the easy stuff. What would you say to someone who's in that moment of like, maybe they've already caught that they're, oh, you know, some things are getting out of hand. I need to get those under control. But then getting it under control creates a bunch of other issues or stressors in their life. What would you say to them? Yeah, that is is so pertinent in the in the substance use space of wow, I'm not spending all my time at the bar anymore. What like what do I do? What do I do instead? Or I just got laid off from my job that I worked 80 to 100 hours a week at. What do I do with all of this time? And really where the anxiety and what I found in my work, the anxiety is really coming from, oh my gosh, I have to sit with myself now. And that's really scary. I don't, I don't know myself anymore. Or there's, or you do, and you know that there is some feelings that again are really uncomfortable. And I don't want to deal with that. That has been in a nice little box. I've had a nice pretty bow on it. And I don't need to touch that. And that little box has started to open up a little bit. And it creates absolutely, it, or it can create anxiety. And so saying, and in, in my work um, with, with substances and what I have said to clients is baby steps. We don't have to fix this all right now. And welcome to the journey of a lifetime in that it will be the rest of your life. 
So let's take this literally one baby step at a time. And baby steps are still steps. They're, they're small, but they're still a step forward. So what can we do today to make yourself feel better? What are you needing even in this moment to feel whole? And doing that moment by moment. Then what happens as we do that, especially with those with substances, those little moments of, and I'm, I'm sure we, most of us have heard, I just, I want to be sober for this next hour. Okay, we hit the hour. I want to be sober for the next hour. And then it's, I want to be sober for the day and then the week. And then that slowly gets to be more and more um, linear. It's the same with dealing with emotions. Let's deal with one tiny one right now, whether that's um, like pettiness that you've been carrying around for, for a while. Let's kind of deal with that and sit with that and work through that feeling. And that for today, that's enough. We don't need to flood ourselves. Today, that's good. And then tomorrow, what else can we kind of sift through and, and, and work with and, and feel and really allowing ourselves the grace to work through all of these feelings slowly? We don't need to open up the floodgates. We don't need to overwhelm ourselves. We're allowed to take those baby steps. Could you go into a little bit more detail on the idea of flooding? Because I think that that's a really interesting idea that um, we talk about in the mental health space, but maybe isn't as uh, well known by everyone else. Um, when you say uh, we don't need to flood ourselves, what exactly are you saying? Yeah, I, I'd be happy to. So sometimes when we start to talk about feelings, whether that's grief and loss or anxiety, depression, whatever feeling is coming up for that individual person, it can be pretty common, especially if it's your first time talking about it, to just word vomit. And everything everything just, just comes out from the day one of your life to who you are as someone who's 50. And it, while there can be an initial release of, wow, I haven't talked about this in so long or ever, what can then happen is, oh, wow, that was so big. I don't know how to put some of that stuff back in. I don't know really where to go from here. And it can be really met with like uncontrollable crying, um, again, anger or resentment, or not being able to move on to the next task of your day, because you're so overwhelmed by all of these feelings that you're experiencing, either for the first time, or feelings that you haven't allowed yourself to feel for a really long time. And so it's just really that flooding is really that feeling of hope, oh, that feeling of being so overwhelmed that you're not able to actually function anymore. And so really just being mindful that we don't ever need to get to that space. It's not really helpful from a clinical perspective. So how do we then take our all of our complicated feelings as human beings and digest them slowly? It's like if you get a big bowl of pasta, like say you're traveling in Italy and you get this huge big bowl of pasta, the initial um, reaction could be like, I want to just swallow this thing whole. Well, how would you really feel if you did that? Probably not great. <laughs> but what if you took bite-sized pieces and then really sat and enjoyed the pasta? Imagine that would be a better experience. If someone is feeling flooded, do you have any tips on how they can get themselves back to, you know, a stable place to be able to think through things? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Giving yourself the grace to, to move through it. It's, it's um, not, it's very similar to someone who's having a panic attack where someone's having a panic attack. 
is really just unable in that moment to really be consoled. They have to unfortunately go through that feeling. We can do things to make them feel safe um, and make sure that they're, they're, they don't harm themselves or inadvertently harm someone else, but they need the time to regulate their breathing. And in the moment, sometimes when we say things to somebody who is so flooded or in that anxiety state, it's actually not helpful. We need to just let them release and almost exhaust themselves initially. And then just after that happens, just being in the moment and maybe sitting in silence for a bit, there's, we don't always have to do things. And that's something that I always have to remind myself too, even as a clinician, that there's sometimes there isn't anything to be done other than sitting and being present with another person, which is huge, which is really a gift that we can give people. So if you're noticing that either you yourself or someone that you care about is either is in that flood state, really just sitting and letting that person experience their emotions for what they are. And when they, when you feel like they're able to hear you just say, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. What are you needing? And remembering that that's enough. We don't have to solve it in the moment. There's really nothing to solve. We just get to be there and experience and remind that person that they're not, they're not alone. I really appreciate you laying that out like that, because especially when you start learning about these things and going deeper and deeper into it, it almost feels, there's almost a sense that because you have the information, you can fix everything. And it's one of the things I actually worry about with this podcast too, because I'm like, we're very much intellectualizing emotions with this podcast. Like that's the whole format. And so, <laughs> and so, you know, you sit here and you do that and you're like, okay, well, I have all the information, but when you're in a heightened state, when you're experiencing something, when you're too close to it and you can't see the forest from the trees, right? It's almost like um, marketers always complain that it's really hard to market themselves, right? And like therapists are always like, boy, doing therapy on myself is tough, you know? And, um, and I do find it interesting, this concept of we don't have to solve it because, you know, as, as a coach in, in my own life, like I have to keep reminding myself that more and more, <laughs> the more I learn. And as people listen to these episodes and they get the information, they might also be tempted to be like, oh, well, I have the information. I'm armed. I, it's like, we almost gather the information in order to have like the sword and the shield in order to go take on these things. But truthfully, um, sometimes less is more in a lot of cases. And, um, I'm curious when, when it comes to, you know, there's almost two ideas that we've come across in this conversation so far. There's people put their identity and all this stuff into a nice box of the bow and they don't open it for decades. And then when it gets opened, it's a different identity and they get shocked by it. And then there's the other side of it, which is letting it all hang out, never having a solid sense of identity, always being, you know, fluid with everything. And then, you know, that's its own chaos, right? It's it's that sort of back and forth between the two. Obviously, finding some sort of nice middle between them would be ideal. But what are your thoughts on like, you know, how often should we revisit our sense of self? How and maybe I mean obviously that's like a very specific, like time-driven question, but answer it however you will. Like what is what is maybe an appropriate approach to 
checking in with ourselves in order to find out like, has anything changed in the last five years? Am I a different person? How do we ask those questions maybe on an ongoing basis so that we don't have a huge wake up call in a decade from now where our whole life has completely shifted and we haven't even noticed it, it the ground shifting beneath us? Yeah, that's, that's such a beautiful question. And I think a, a theme of what I've gathered from this conversation too, Martin, is, is that it's how we all react to things and what we're all needing can be so different. And I think it's the same for, for your question and how often we revisit these feelings is different from, from person to person. What I find in the field is that it's really common to do this in, in around the new year. Like January 1st is my time to really reflect on the past year and then what I want moving forward. And if that's where my clients are at and that's where they're, that's comfortable for them, absolutely encourage it. I also want us to expand that a little bit. And if we're starting either a new habit, and I think tuning into our feelings is that can be a habit, um, a habit that would be a, a beneficial habit for our life. We actually really get to start whenever we want and whenever we feel ready. And how I've encouraged my clients to do that is by journaling. Or if you don't like to write, um, I use I use my notes app. If my if I ever lost my phone and somebody found it and opened up my notes app, they'd be like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> what is <laughs> what is this?" But so it's really just remembering that we get whatever feelings are in our our heads or in our hearts that we have an outlet to um, to get them out of ourselves writing them down, saying in a speaker note, I'm jotting it down on a legal pad, whatever feels comfortable for you. And the cadence of that gets to be up to us. We get to have, we get to be in the driver's seat with, with our feelings. If we're in a, a space where it's just too much, I feel like I have too much on my plate right now. This is uncomfortable. I, I, I want to take a break. Listen to that. We don't always need to be in tune with our feelings. Ideally, yes, but let's give ourselves a little bit of grace here. And if we're not ready, really honoring that, listening to our bodies, listening to our minds. So that could be once a month, once a week, weekly therapy, that that yearly, that yearly New Year's resolution. It really gets to be whatever we want. And hearing that, I hope that, that that's empowering, that there isn't actually a schedule, that we actually get to decide for ourselves when we want to tune in with our feelings and when we actually want to take a step back as well. I like that. And, you know, when it comes to journaling and things like that, one thing I've noticed is, and this ties back to what we talked about earlier with, I, I think a lot of identity is based in the story that we're telling ourselves. Right. And so we have this concept of who we're going to be when we grow up, or we have this concept of who we are in our career. And then Maybe you get MS or you have an alcohol problem or you, whatever the thing might be. And it, sh it shakes your, your image of yourself. Right. Um, and then we have to create a new story. That's in a lot of ways, maybe just my way of processing um, this, this process. And so when it comes to journaling and things like that, we're, we're using that to reflect on, I, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, but my view of it is we're using it to reflect on our emotions, to reflect on either just brain dump, get things out, but it's also rewriting, literally rewriting our, our story, reframing our life in real time. And 
there's so much good in that in just getting it out, getting it down and and processing it in that way. And then there's also, again, everything can be used for good or bad, all these different tools. I feel like, you know, we get all this information and then we're like, I, I can fix everything. And that's like a, a malformed version of having this information or I'm journaling. And because I'm journaling, I'm going to journal about these things and I'm going to turn myself into whatever I want to be. And there is a lot of reinforcement in the pop culture of like, if you just dream it, you can be it, and all these different things. And I tend to find sometimes that what we journal reinforces what we think. And it's, um, it can almost reverse on us in a way where if you're only ever journaling negative things, and then maybe you go back through your journal, you'll find that your life seems pretty negative. Um, and that's why I think a lot of people push gratitude journaling and things like that. And so are there any strategies to journaling to help people maybe not just reinforce every negative and not almost dig themselves a deeper pit through their journal, but to find a balanced view so that it's the healthiest possible approach to to using these tools. What do you think? Yeah, I I, com I completely agree. And that's definitely something that I have seen in the field and even tying this back to the beginning of our conversation when it comes to layoffs, because that could be such a huge identity shift of, wow, I was this person that worked for X company for a number of years. And that's really just who I am. And that was just ripped from me in a 30 minute HR meeting. Wow where do I put all of these feelings like that? My identity has been really tied to this company or to this role or to this team. And then when it comes to laying that out and actually starting to process those feelings and, and journaling can be such a, a powerful tool in that, we then going at it in a way where we get to actually be the editors of our story. People will have stories about us and they'll have their own narrative and that's okay. We, we can't control other people as much as we want to. And as much as it's, um, as you know, as, as much as we would think that we want to, we actually get to be the editors of our own story. And how do I then rewrite that story that, that works for me? Who am I? I'm the main character of my, my story. I get to be in, I get to have the reins writing that all out. And even if it is negative, maybe that's okay for now. We get to go back and delete some words we get to go back and actually take a pen and slash out words and, and re and rewrite and rewrite them and that could be a really cool tool to use just in in your life this is how i felt i felt really negative january 1st and i really laid it all out and i was really hard on myself and really harsh to myself and then two weeks later rereading it and actually just deleting the stuff that really isn't true and asking yourself when you've written that, says who? Like who, who said that? Or where is that belief coming from? And really taking your pen and just Xing out the words that actually don't make, that don't make sense right now. Yeah, I really like that. And it can even show us like going back and looking at journals, like maybe there's a string of negative journals. If it keeps going and keeps going, that can show us that we have a pattern of negativity in our thinking. And maybe then we can identify and change the pattern. And I, I love the idea of being the editor of our own story. And it kind of comes back again to that idea we had at the beginning of acceptance, right? Um, you know, we can, it's this constant, you know, balancing act of like, I want to, well, I guess it all kind of comes down to control, doesn't it? A lot of these things, 
It's like, I want to control my story. I even want to control my emotions. I want to control how I think about my emotions. I want to control how other people think about me experiencing my emotions. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> turtles all the way down. Right. And so um, it's pretty wild how these things can just like, and, and that's, I think why so much of this is so maybe even difficult and complex and why people, you know, we all in, in different ways will find our ways to distract um, from, from, viewing it. And I, I appreciate that not only are you encouraging people to do this, but to do this in bits, do this in pieces, do this, come back. And then like, don't just live your life raw in these moments. Cause it can be pretty brutal to just be 24 seven, always feeling this way. And so um, as we do think about all this stuff and maybe we start to clean up some of our, you know, um, harmful coping mechanisms and replacing them with more helpful coping mechanisms, how do we take care of ourselves during these processes? Um, is there anything that we should absolutely not do or absolutely we should do? I mean, that gets us into the whole shoulds thing. But, um, you know, I think a lot of times people are worried that they might get flooded, they might burn out, they might any number of things that that could come up as they start entering this process of self-reflection and discovery. Um, how can we take care of ourselves while also opening up potential wounds that haven't been, you know, treated? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I love that. I love that question. And I think it, it comes back to what you were just saying, Martin, about control that while there are some things that are just wildly out of our control, it doesn't mean we're just moving about the world as just helpless beings. That there are a lot of things that are within our control. We actually get to control how we react to things. We get to control um, how, how we feel about certain things. We can't control how people feel about us or their opinions about how, how we've reacted to those things. Really learning to let that go, let that piece of the control go, that I get to be, again, the narrator of my story and only my story. I don't get to narrate your story and no one else gets to narrate mine and really making that a mindfulness practice in your day-to-day -day life. And then some other things that we can do that are more helpful responses to either grief and loss, um, anxiety, anger, depression, can be really leaning into what our bodies are needing. How much am I sleeping? How much am I exercising? And I say exercise with a caveat doesn't mean that we all need to go out and join gyms. Although if you, if that's part of your practice, that's, that's really wonderful and keep that up. It can really be a 15 minute walk around the block, a 30 minute walk. We just moving, moving our bodies and getting the blood flowing. We're really sedentary creatures and we're getting more and more. And so it just can be really moving, moving our muscles and getting that blood flowing. It really just actually has effects on our mental health. Leaning into our support network. So who in your life is somebody that you trust that you can lean on? Is that a family member, a partner, a colleague, and really using them as a safe space to be able to be your true authentic self and how you're feeling. So when someone asks, how are you doing today? 99% of the time when we're asked that question, we say, I'm good. I'm fine. Is there one or two people in your life when they ask how you're doing, you can say, not great and really be a safe space for you to unload. 
Another really great way that can be helpful for a lot of people is engaging in therapy, is, is working with somebody in lockstep with you in that journey where you have this routine that I know every other Thursday at 3 p.m., this is my crying time. And this is my time where I get to really unload to somebody while also learning practical tools to help get me through, to help me get, get me through these emotions. Engaging in hobbies, remembering our creative sides. Does that mean coloring, knitting, um, taking a dance class? Again, doing something to really activate our creative minds, um, taking a music class, really maybe doing something out of the ordinary for ourselves, giving ourselves, finding, finding pockets of joy for ourselves. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Career Therapy's Unstuck Coaching Program, which was built to give you the personalized support you need to advance in your career without fear and turn work-related anxiety into professional accomplishments. When you enroll in the Unstuck Coaching Program's monthly membership, you get immediate access to all of the coaching resources you need to crush it in your job search. This includes two one-on-one calls with Coach Marty every month, weekly job search support group sessions with the Unstuck community, access to the Unstuck curriculum, which guides you through every aspect of your job search from strategy through negotiations, and an invite to the Career Therapy Slack channel where you can chat with Coach Marty whenever job search questions come up. Want to see if the Unstuck Coaching Program is right for you? Head over to careertherapy.com and schedule a free consultation with me in order to find out. You don't have to job search alone. Career Therapy is here to help. Thanks for listening. And now let's get back to the show. You know, as people are going through layoffs right now, or they're going through personal grief that is affecting their ability to show up at work in a, in a perfect way quote unquote, perfect way. The perfectionism is strong with a lot of people that listen. Um, You know, just, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast of like diversifying your life so that everything isn't solely being put on that one thing. And I think going back to what we're talking about with identity and career, because we put so much of our identity into our career, a lot of times when we get laid off, we lose that reputation. We lose that sense of identity. We lose so much because we didn't diversify it anywhere else. And that's where we're stuck with, you know, us and the screen at home, not knowing what to do with ourselves. Right. And so it's, it's almost like, um, it's a nice, almost preventative approach, even if we want to look at it that way to have a full life in a lot of different ways. So that if something happens with your career, it's not your only, you know, leg on the stool, let's say. Um, and when we think about all this stuff, um, I almost want to flip it to the other side. Let's say you know someone who has been laid off or your coworker uh, you know, lost a family member last week or is going through a divorce or something. How could you show up for other people and help them as they're experiencing grief? What are maybe the do's and don'ts in, in how to show up for someone else? Yeah, definitely. I think dealing either with a layoff or some kind of personal tragedy. Like how do we, as, as people show up to the, to the, to other people who are important to us. And I think there's a tendency, and I know we talked about this earlier of con- trying to convince the person that it's going to be okay. And yes, in the future, 
it hopefully will be, but we're not there yet. That person isn't there yet. They're in the here and now, and they're probably traumatized. They're sad. They're angry, confused, scared. All of these things that can be coupled with the feeling of being laid off. So rather than just saying, oh, this is a good thing, or putting our own feeling on what we think that person should be feeling, just asking, hey, I, I, I heard what happened. I, I heard there were layoffs. How are you doing? Or what are you feeling? And letting that person answer for themselves of, you know what? Not great. Or I'm scared. Or I don't know what to do. I'm angry. And allowing whatever that feeling is coming up for that person to be real, to acknowledge it and not try to fix it, not try to solve it and not try to put a bandaid on it and say, oh, well, it will get better. It comes across as unintentionally dismissive. And so really being um, in that space with that person and allowing them to actually process whatever feeling that they're feeling. And again, being that safe space for that person. Yeah. And it really kind of comes down to almost normalizing a lot of this stuff. Uh, What I tend to find when I'm working with people is that they think they're the only one going through whatever experience that they're going through. Um, And possibly at that moment, you are the only person, you know, going through something like that. Um, But the nice thing in some ways is that everyone experiences some form of grief many, many times throughout their life. And um, if you have this perfectionistic mindset where you have to be a hundred percent at your job every single day, well, it's going to be pretty hard when, you know, maybe, you know, you, your, your parent doesn't remember who you are anymore because of Alzheimer's or something like that. Like, I mean, how, how are you possibly going to show up at work and be 100% if, if, if that is happening? Right. And so I really appreciate you laying this out. And I think hopefully rather than this podcast being used as a way to give people this intellectual thing of, of I'm going to fix everything. It's more just like normalizing it and saying, it, you know, we're not going to do it perfectly. We're not going to, you know, fix it overnight. This is going to be a long-term process. And almost instead of when you said like, this might be lifelong and, and the lawyer had that reaction, it does. It is kind of funny when you hear it's lifelong, it almost feels like a life sentence in a way. It's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is, this is forever. And the truth is like, yeah, life is until it's not. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, you know, I think I'm constantly, as I, as I, you know, get older, I'm constantly uh, surprised, I guess, in a way of like, oh, it's just another version of this thing, you know? Oh, it's it's like, oh, who I am now is just kind of this, this for the next 60, 70 years. Oh my gosh, that's kind of overwhelming to even think about. Um, <laughs> but it is, it is something we can also find comfort in because, you know, it is normal to go through these things. It's normal to get flooded in, you know, by different situations. It's normal to need to lean on people, even coworkers. And so if someone's, you know, going through a layoff, let's say, you know, there's another big tech layoff this week and they're listening to this podcast. Um, what might you say, what might be something that uh, you'd want to leave them with at the end of the conversation here, a thought to maybe mull over as they enter this next phase of their identity of their life, of their career? Yeah. And I, I think expanding on your, your thoughts about this perfectionist tendency that a lot of us have, it, it's so, it's so real. And, and I count myself you know, in, in that group too. 
And something to, to leave this, this group with is understanding that that might be a, a, a part of ourselves and also allowing and giving ourselves permission to ask for help that we are not, we're, we're not able to make it through this life on, on our own try as we might, we're, it's, it's not, it's not going to work out that way. We, we need people to get through life. And so really giving ourselves permission to ask for help, either leaning into our, like leaning into our families, our partners, our, our career professional networks and saying, Hey, can you look over my resume or can you help me update my LinkedIn? Or do you have any, do you have any jobs available in this particular company being brave enough to ask for help and also being brave enough to also take a break too, to really using this time. If, if you were affected by a layoff to really evaluate your next steps as, as intimidating as that might feel again, doing that in ways that are baby steps of my next move, is it going to be in the same field or is this maybe an opportunity to try something different? And if so, who do I need to ask for help along the way to be able to get me there? So just really remembering that it's okay to ask for help, really giving ourselves permission there. Well, Nicole, this was amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on grief and loss and the burden of the layoff. <laughs> uh, if folks want to find more about your work and what you're doing, where can they go to follow along? Definitely. I, I'm on I'm on LinkedIn. Um, just Nicole Roger, spelled like Roger on LinkedIn. Happy, happy to connect there. Wonderful. Well, we'll have the links in the job or in the in the show notes. Almost a job description. <laughs> you can tell where my head's at this week for people. Right, I'm, I'm in that same space too. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I really appreciate your time, and I hope that um, people can take these tools and really, you know, find solace in their situation. Great, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you found this conversation to be helpful, please like and subscribe wherever you are listening. We also appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us spread the word and get these ideas out to more job seekers looking to build their careers and improve their lives just like you. If you'd like to learn more about career therapy and see our different coaching options, you can head over to careertherapy.com to learn more. Thank you again for stopping by. We wish you all the best in the future of your career. Have a good one.